the four last things. Um, Advent itself uh, you know, is Latin for adventus, a coming or an arrival. And if you look at the early church documents, it's, it's very clear that this understanding is that it's not just the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, which again is that sort of like liturgical drama that we get to relive. Like right. we pretend, oh, Jesus hasn't been born yet. Oh, look, Jesus is born. Um, Advent is also preparation for his second coming. So if you go back, especially um, in the older readings for the breviary, um, before it was revised, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> there's a lot of readings from the book of Revelation, a lot of readings from Isaiah, a lot of, okay, Jesus is coming again, right? right. It's, it's uh, heavy in its emphasis there. So the, the whole motivation for me to, to end us in the semester with death, judgment, uh, heaven, and hell is not just the sort of fun pun of judgment and final exams, but also really preparing us for the season. The reason for the season. The, Ooh, that's, a, that's a bumper sticker right there. It is a bumper sticker right there. Yeah. But instead of a bumper sticker of the reason for the season with the manger, it's, it's Jesus coming and everyone in, in judgment. And, and, you know, if you want to read something good to help you understand the judgment, I actually think Space Alvey... Uh, the encyclical by Benedict the Sixteenth is the best, one of the best theologies I've ever. Have you have you read it? Yeah, but a while ago. It it he talks about well, I'll just say this. He talks about the last judgment, and and so often we think of the last judgment. And I know we're not talking talking about you the last judgment tonight, but I'm completely jumped the gun. I know, I know, but let me finish the thought. Oh well. <laughs> uh, he talks about the last judgment when we typically think of it as a as a something to be terrified of we're afraid of it why because we know we're sinners and we might uh not measure up you know we know we might not uh we're afraid of of going to hell right but he he says the last judgment should be an object of hope hope because when christ comes he's going to come and and justice god's justice will have the final word not evil or sin and yeah, he acknowledges it's also a sign of our responsibility as well. But that we have a responsibility over our lives and we have to give an account of it. But, I mean, really, I think the early church, too, had this, we think of the second coming of Christ and we think... Whenever that's going to be. Whatever. That, yeah, yeah. They had this they, they had this expectation and hope of it coming. I mean, it was not looked at as a, as a, as a thing to be feared terrified of it's a shows a proper orientation of your desires yeah oftentimes we think okay god that'd be great but i want to die when i'm old surrounded by this and having accomplished all these other things what things could you possibly accomplish besides getting your your posterior into the confessional and confessing your sins what thing could you otherwise accomplish that would be better than the kingdom coming? Like the Chiefs winning another Super Bowl, is that really like God, you know, really appreciate you bringing about this salvation thing that you've been working on? But um, can you just give me a few more seasons of the Royals trying to get to the World Series? I'd really love it. We pray for that every time when we say the Our Father, right? Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is not just like a, a weird title or anything. It's not a throwaway word. It's a weird title. Oh, it does. It's like, you know, have you have you gone to thy kingdom come? Oh, those are the best Thursday night retreats. Yeah. Right? It's, it's one of those stupid names that people would give one of these things. <clears throat> Anyways, I jumped the gun. No, 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 it's fine. Um, it all comes back to this, is that we, in some ways, are a culture which has excluded death from ourselves. Um, I'm sorry, they're all looking at me. I know they're all no, looking at you. I just... you... It's fine. Uh, I understand, it's very sour gummies. Um, so I think I've mentioned this before. This crucifix here, which we have in the library, which for some reason has always been sitting on the side, mm. is an older style crucifix. And I want to talk about it just in um, relation to death because this would be one of those home ones that you'd have over the front door of the house, mm-hmm. right? And inside, uh, although it's an old one, right, uh, should have been oil, but the oil appears to have dried up. And it would be olive oil oil. that the priest would then bless for anointing. And there are two candles here. And uh, if someone was in danger of death, uh, you would call the priest. Oh, you have uh, instructions here. Oh, we do have we do have instructions written in here. Call the priest. I got the first one right and give him correct name and address. Yep. Tell him if the patient is a child or an adult, and if he is conscious or not. Indicate if the patient can receive Holy Communion. Give something of the condition of the patient according to the doctor's report or to your own opinion. Make haste to prepare the patient's room for the coming of the priest. Place a chair and a table at the head of the bed. Cover the table with a clean white cloth. Arrange the following articles on the table. A crucifix upright with two lighted candles, which we have right here. You see how the crucifix... It should fit upright. Uh, where are we going? Is it facing <clears throat> A crucifix upright with two lighted candles, which are supposed to be a 51% beeswax, a receptacle containing holy water, a glass of ordinary water and a teaspoon, a bowl for cleansing the priest's fingers. If you foresee that the priest will receive the last, uh, the patient will receive the last rites, place on the table a saucer or a small plate containing a bit of table salt or a slice of lemon with a supply of cotton towel. In the kitchen, prepare a wash basin with soap, water, and towel. And it goes on from this. We don't need to read all of it. And I'll tell you what, that is, uh, that, you know, Cardinal Burke, who is uh, former Archbishop of St. Louis, former head of the Apostolic Signatura, the uh, Vatican's highest court, the church's highest court, he gave an interview recently, and the interviewer said, let's start off with an easy question. When did you know you wanted to be a priest? And he talked about growing up on this Wisconsin farm, and at maybe 10 or so, his dad was diagnosed with a very severe form of brain cancer. And so he had an operation at the hospital, but there wasn't much they could do. So uh, this would have been in the late 50s, early 60s. And so his dad was at home on his deathbed, and he said the priest would come in every day or often. And they would do that. They would set up the room specially. They would put on this white tablecloth. And, and he said he had to go to the door to greet the priest with a candle because the priest was bringing the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And so then he'd process up and he got this sense of uh, that the priest was doing, was, was bringing something to his father, was bringing the, the greatest possible thing to his father, the Eucharist. And 
uh, the sacraments. And he said that, that before uh, he could receive the Eucharist, his father would always go to confession. They would have to leave the room, and then they could come back in when the priest gave him communion. Um, so the, nowadays, um, when, when I get a call, um, someone's on a deathbed, um, it's just not like this, you know. Well, people aren't prepared. Yeah, Pe um, people aren't prepared, yeah. And this is why it's an important conversation for us to have right now, because you guys are of an age where grandparents are passing away. Well, and, 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 and we all are going to pass away, yeah. and you need to be ready. I mean, think about the Hail Mary. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Why the hour of our death? Because that's the crucial moment. When, when that, that's kind of um, when we're going to be tempted to despair uh, or when we need the grace to, to not. You know, we need the yeah. grace to, to repent. And, and, uh, and we've lost that understanding of preparation for death and the need to, prayer, to pray for a good death. Yeah. Um, too often we just think that death is kind of like whatever God we, allots us, but it lies within his providence. And you have the power of prayer to be in a place where you can be well disposed to, to die, to have a good death. Yeah. I, my grandmother uh, had a devotion to St. Joseph, and I would dare say that she did have a good death, that it came at a time where, in a place after great suffering, where I, you know, as the only real practicing Catholic left in the family, was able to, but she was practicing, be able to call for the priest, um, and he's there, we're able to, to administer the rites, um, and then, you know, be with her with loved ones while she, she passes away. Mm -hmm. Um, that's different than <clears throat> we'd like to know, like before you get on a plane or something like that, get yourself to confession again, or, you know, doing something, whatever, um, you'd like to be prepared to die. Um, but if it's something unforeseen like that, what people, people want to die in the, in the middle of the night, right? We just want it to be easy and quick. I want to just go asleep. Um, cause you don't want to actively be conscious when you die. There's that fear of it, this fear of the unknown. Um, but there's something beautiful that if you are conscious and you are dying, you can make an act of the will oriented towards God, which is Right? No. I, I, I think there is that fear, and I hear this from people, well, at least he didn't suffer, or at least she didn't suffer. And we've lost <clears throat> this perspective of, um, and I, look, I don't want someone to suffer, uh, you know, who doesn't, uh, you know, I mean, if, if we can but make them comfortable. Going, but right. we're all going to die. We're all going to die, and, and um, we should want to die a good death. We should want to die a holy death, which means that we have time for repentance uh, that we're able to re be fortified by the sacraments, you know, make a good confession, receive Holy Communion, receive the anointing of the sick, the last rites, you know. And the thing I want to bring up um, that our mutual friend Father Bissot was always the one that emphasized to every student when we talked about this was the apostolic pardon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, do you want to take it away? You sound I like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have the text of the apostolic pardon if you want it. Oh, I have it on my phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. 
Spanish. Uh, Spanish. Look, Spanish or English? Which one should we go with, huh? Let's do English. Espanol, por favor. No, let's not, not do that. Um, <laughs> all right. So listen, can, can we can you talk a little bit about yeah. the apostolic pardon? So first? the apostolic pardon is, uh, let, me, let me read some of the text around this. A priest who administers the sacraments to someone in danger of death should not fail to impart the apostolic blessing, the apostolic pardon, to which a plenary indulgence is attached. Listen to this. If a priest is unavailable, Holy Mother Church benevolently grants to the Christian faithful who are duly disposed of plenary indulgence to be acquired at the point of death, provided they have been in the habit of reciting some prayers during their lifetime. In such a case, the church supplies for the three conditions ordinarily required for a plenary indulgence. In this latter case, the use of a crucifix or a cross is obtaining the plenary indulgence is commendable. The faithful can obtain this plenary indulgence at the hour of death, even if they've already acquired a plenary indulgence that day. There's some other stuff on which, which goes into what we've been talking about in November, right? Indulgences, the partial and plenary. Plenary is just the fancy Latin-derived word, which means the full, right? right? So it's a remediation of all punishment that would be due to your sin. So obviously your sins are forgiven, right? But at the same time, we, we talk about that judgment thing, right? Uh, look, you've been forgiven, but I need you to pay back there, this. But, but let, me, let me read the text to you guys, because I think they speak for themselves. I'm going to read the one that I, I prefer, but I'll read both of them, okay? All right, so by the authority, uh, obviously I'm just reading the text. I'm not giving anybody the part, the apostolic pardon, which I assume you guys all knew. Um, <laughs> by the authority which the apostolic see has given me, I grant you a full pardon and the remission of all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the one I, I, I use. Um, the second one, which I have used as well, um, uh, but it's just I prefer the other one. The, through the holy mysteries of our redemption, may Almighty God release you from all punishments in this life and in the life to come. May he open to you the gates of paradise and welcome you to everlasting joy. Um, you see really the, the great mercy of God in this, that he wants us to uh, be free of our sins, be free of the punishment owed to sin, um, he's going, he, he really gives us every possible, every possible opportunity to be cleansed before. I, I see your hand, yeah. Cal. Yeah, I'm sorry. So with the apostolic pardon, is that so that we would not go to purgatory to suffer for our sins or would we? Okay, so there's the normal administration of the sacraments mm -hmm. and the graces that they bestow as visible signs and ones that you know work, right? That is, this is what's been promised to us with mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, the ch again, it's, uh, I was listening to a great podcast as I was driving down this morning where they're talking about, we've, we've taken on this individualism in the church mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where, um, we forget that the, with sin, it's not just about um, being reconciled with God. It's also being reconciled yeah. to God's church. Yeah. And the, the church in her authority has been granted by Christ, you know, the ability to do this, the keys of the kingdom. And so the church in her mercy, so God has given us these, you know, the, the last rites. Uh, Jesus Christ has given us confession. Mm -hmm. But what the church has done in addition to that, right, is to say, well, look, um, and if there's anything remaining from that, right, because confession can forgive the sins, but there could still be uh, temporal punishment, temporal punishment a lot of for that, right? The same way that like if you go to confession with, 
with Father Nagel, you know, it's not just like, all right, see you later, have a good time. There's also, and say, three Hail Marys and well, whatever. But I, but I, you're right, you're right. But I also think think of like the example I like to use with this is, let's say I stole Patrick's car and then um, uh, he never figured out I stole it, right? And I sold it for $50,000 because he's driving a really nice car and um, he never figured that out. All right, and then I feel super guilty and I confess it and he says, okay, the priest says, pray two rosaries. And so I pray two rosaries. I have been forgiven of the sin. The penance has taken care of the, the penance, confession, sacrament of penance has taken care of the eternal punishment owed to that sin because when we sin, we offend God first and foremost, right? Remember David in, in the Miserere, Psalm um, 50, um, you know, have mercy on me, O God, in your, in your generous mercy against you, you alone have I sinned. Um, but there's this temporal punishment because I've done a real injustice to Patrick. I, I've committed a serious injustice against him. And so I should make some kind of restitution for that. I don't have to make it to Patrick because then that would mean he would know that it was me. But the priest might give me something to do or I might, um, or the, the priest should in the case of theft give you something to do for restitution. But, uh, but you see very clearly there in that example that there is this, it's not just God in that case, but I've sinned against another person and that needs to be repaired. And that's Part, partly why the church gives us these plenary indulgences. So asking for the apostolic pardon. <clears throat> which, which I, if, if I even suspect somebody is dying, I'm doing the apostolic pardon. Yeah. Ask for it. Not every priest, you know, thinks of it or sees it as important. It is absolutely important. It is absolutely important. And one, um, it can, as a consolation to the loved ones, the I, possibility that the apostolic pardon holds out. One of, one of my, my, my former pastor uh, was very much emphasized the apostolic pardon, which I'm grateful for. But I remember one time he came down to my room late one night. He said, I just had a hospital call. I forgot to do the apostolic pardon and I have an appointment. Can you go down and do it? And so I said, sure. And I, I mean, he thought that highly of it, that it's like, man, I intended to, I forgot, but somebody needs to go down tonight and do it, you know, because yeah. this guy might die. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I can't emphasize enough that if this is the one time that you're hearing about this, I'm sorry. But at the same time, keep it in the back of your mind. And, you know, whenever I think be, of possibly dying. Be very specific. Say apostolic like, pardon. That's don't it. don't don't say last rites. You know, like did he receive the last rites? No. Four syllables. Yeah, yeah. Actually, five. Sorry. Ap Apostol. <laughs> <laughs> I passed that uh, test like two weeks ago, so it's fine. Six six syllables. Oh my gosh! All right, whatever. All right, yeah. Sorry yeah, about that. Education major, you have to do that for the test. Um, it's in my phone so so listen. Uh, just emphasizing that with with death. Um, Want to come back to the idea that. Uh, it is weird that we live in this age where death is in the margins. We don't think about it. We can find people to these homes where, you know, yeah. through through modern medicine, death becomes so prolonged that it kind of disappears, right? Absolutely. But in the earlier church history, um, 
there kind of arose this tradition of meditating uh, from the the 1500s onward on the four last things. So the saint uh, that really brought it into to prominence is Saint Thomas More, um, but he's picking up on a popular piety in the Netherlands where he. So we might know of this. So Saint Thomas More, um, before he was Chancellor of England, before he was uh, martyred for the faith, uh, had been. Uh, on trade commissions uh, in uh, the Netherlands. And so if you look at the, the sort of artistic history in the Netherlands, you'll see depictions of the four last things. So you'll find that in Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, so people know Bosch, Hieronymus Bosch. Mm-hmm. He's the, no? No. Um, Father, can you just look up a Hieronymus Bosch print? You'll kind of quickly recognize who he is just by the, um, surrealist nature of of his painting um but it was a habit among them to depict the four last things as a an artistic thing to meditate upon uh in 1522 saint thomas more publishes a well actually didn't publish he wrote and then later was posthumously published a series of meditations on the four last things uh which one do you want me to do just whatever one is grotesque and weird and shows them what Bosch is about. Great. Okay. There's the guy with the uh, musical notations printed on his butt. <laughs> the Garden of Earthly Delights. That? That? That's in the movie last night. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I did not need to that. that weird yeah, that's weird enough. Yeah. That I did not expect that. that just like happened. I'm glad that it was on Go the ahead. butt. Nothing else. Right. Yeah, I mean, with it being R-rated, it looks it like a worst any of it. It, yeah. it does, but it's very... Okay, so uh, very... we're passing that around, but... Um... Oh, this is odd. Okay, but... I don't understand. Okay, I'll just pass it on. How, how so does it... Where does it show the four things in that? Why am I not? Oh, it's not in the, it's not in that one. There's a there's a different one where he uh, okay. it's called uh, the seven deadly sins and the four last things. Oh. Which is okay. meditate which is a meditation uh, on obviously seven deadly sins and then being mindful of you better avoid them because you're gonna die. What is the point of this? Who did um? Sorry. Uh, what is the point of this? Yeah, like why why is this? A Bosch. Uh, yeah, just like. <laughs> This looks like randomness. It does. No. Wait. Bobby, yeah. Yeah, so who did yeah, this? Like, there's an image that we looked at in one of my classes that I cannot recall very well, but it depicts like heaven and then earth and then hell. Mm-hmm. That's, and there's like chains. I don't know if there's chains. Either, that's a pretty common image that you would see a lot of times in a church. You would have an image of. Like as a part of a triptych or something like that above the altar. So again, uh, this is an opportunity well, for. These are opportunities really for art that we've kind of lost, uh-huh. right? There. So when you move the altar into like, the middle of the oh, church, yeah, the if you put up one of these of screens where there were commonly artistic no, depictions of these sorts of no, visions, it's just random. Uh, well, they don't make any random, sense I'm now because you sure. couldn't. Oh, okay. You couldn't put that up because it would block the priests from the people today, whereas before, um, you know. Father Matt is a handsome man, but he's not really the point of what we're trying to look at when we're at Mass. You know, so if he were to turn his back to us, let's say, and say Mass, you know, ad orientum. That's still done. Still Latin. done some places. Uh, what? what would be the opportunity there would be to throw up above him 
some sort of artistic representation. So in the Netherlands, oftentimes they have what's called triptychs, right? Where mm-hmm. it'd be a central panel and That's two side panels um, depicting some sort it, of theme. part of it. Right? Um, sometimes uh, the central triptych would be the crucifixion, and on the side triptychs there'd be um, uh, other, the two side panels would be something depicting the life of Christ. Other ones like this. Uh, but either way, it's... Uh, I mean, these are these are meant for for Christian meditation. They're supposed to be part of mass. They're not meant for art museums, right? Right. They're again the uh, my my complaint as my wife is the archaeologist, but we both came to the conclusion early on that you know the Indiana Jones movie, right? Indiana Jones and the <laughs> the Last Crusade, where the, he's fighting on the boat in the in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, uh-huh. it belongs in a museum, and I'm like, no, it belongs in a church. Right. These things that belong in churches, like the Nelson Atkins um, in uh, Kansas City, has reliquaries with actual with relics, relics yeah, that's in them. Disgusting, yeah. On display, um, there are other devotional pieces which are sort of out of their consecrated church and they're perhaps don't belong there. But there's a beautiful one that's got to be like 16 feet high, which is uh, the Dormition of Mary and other scenes from the life of Mary, which is meant to be on the the end of the altar so that you would say mass in front of this right but and we... then and then you know if if the priest is saying some of those mass prayers quietly and you can't hear him you can still pray and look upon these images and you enter into the heavenly mysteries right but what we have now is just the crucifix mm-hmm. with the light on it which it's a we actually have a very nice crucifix here um but again it's it it's not sort of a full fullness of artistic meditation possible in there. Well, I want to read um, a little bit of the beginning of um, Thomas More on death. Um, so Thomas More says, The physician sendeth his bill to the apothecary, and therein writeth sometimes a costly receipt of many strange herbs and roots, fetched out of far countries, long lane drugs, all the strength worn out, and some none such to be got. But this physician sendeth his bill to thyself, no strange thing therein, nothing costly to buy, nothing far to fetch, but to be gathered all times of the year in the gardens of thine own soul. So the 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 medicine that Thomas More says that our soul needs is the meditation on these four things. God is the apothecary. His receipt for us is the meditation on four things which will heal us. Let us then hear... Uh, what some wholesome receipt this is, or recipe. Remember, saith this bill, thy last things, and thou shalt never sin in this world. Here is first a short medicine containing only four herbs, common and well known, that is to wit, death, doom, pain, and joy. Um, so he's saying death, doom, pain, joy. Doom uh, refers to an allotment. So it's the judgment appointed to you. So like the doomsday book in medieval England is actually the allotment of lands. It's not about <laughs> the book of Revelation or anything like that. It's just the doomsday book that is the allotment of things. So death and then your doom. Your doom is neither good nor bad. It's what your judgment is. Well, it could be. Could be bad. Yeah. Could be bad. This short medicine is of such marvelous force, able to keep us all our life from sin. The physician cannot give no medicine to every man to keep him from sickness, but to diverse men, diverse, by reason of the diversity of diverse complexions, 
This medicine, the meditation on the four last things, serveth every man. The physician doth but guess and conjecture that his recipe shall do good, but this medicine is undoubtedly sure. So the idea for Thomas More then is that at all times to keep in our mind death, judgment, heaven, hell. Um, last spring for Lent, we had the Memento Mori devotional journals, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you guys probably, if you actually followed along with them, um, then you would have had a lot of other meditations which showed you that it's not macabre, it's not goth or anything like that. It's just a normal, ordinary realization of who we are as humans, that we are going to die. And it allows us to actually make proper decisions. Um, so much of our life idly spent watching, say, like season 10 of The Office for the fourth time, right? We will be held accountable for that. As Christ says in the gospel, right? You'll be answered for every word spilt. So if you're just sitting there watching The Office, if you're just idly gossiping without actually talking about anything, right? Um, if there's no point or purpose to any of this, you will be held accountable even for that. So not just for, you know, not robbing a bank. Right. I mean, I mean, think of, think of the confidier at Mass, the penitential rite, um, which begins with, I confess, confidier is Latin for I confess. So my God, uh, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, and what I have done, and what I have failed to do. Uh, it, it's much broader than we, we typically think, well, if I can just avoid mortal sin, I'll sneak into heaven. Is kind of, we have this minimalistic idea. Yeah, and yet we know from the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ himself says, give me hot or cold, lukewarm, I vomit forth. Yeah. So if you think of preparation for heaven as punching the clock. Right. Then then we're going to be in for a rude awakening. Either a very long time in purgatory in order to awaken in us the desire and the fullness of heaven. Or something far worse. Well, but you know, you, and I mean, we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins next semester. But you talk about the seven deadly, uh, the the sin of acedia. You know, this this uh, the noonday devil, as yeah. the monks called it. This this, which is not just laziness, but also can manifest itself in what I see today is over busyness. Yeah. Every, everyone. Oh, cl- yeah. Everyone claims that they're busy. But yeah. what actually are you doing? You're just running in a flurry of activity, so you don't have to actually reflect on. The truths of life. I was talking at work just earlier today uh, at a, across the street in Emporia, where we were thinking about the. We'd hosted a weekend colloquy with some of these students, and we noticed that over the years, some of our students are. Um, so a quality difference in some of the the comments and the inability for them to, not endure any period of silence. Yeah. Right, and acedia hates silence you know when i was your age when i was in college and patrick was in college too there was a thing called an ipod that became really big <laughs> i right? still have one yeah well so like <laughs> 2005 2006 2007 you would see yeah, yeah you would see yeah. people walking around campus yeah, and they had their earbuds in and father steve Bissot, this priest both uh patrick and i have talked about a few times um he used to say that what he wanted to do when he saw a kid walking around with earbuds is pull it out and say, you're going to die one day. It's what he, it's, he said mm-hmm. he always wanted to do that because it's like, 
what? Why do you need to listen to music from the second you shut your dorm dorm room door till your teacher walks into class? You know, I mean, that's a time when you could be praying, meditating, praying, or just just organizing your life thinking, and thinking yeah. about what matters to you. And it doesn't have to always be, you know, like the the super spiritual thing. It always right. has to just be like. What are you going to do with your life? You know, I didn't I didn't have an iPod and I I mean, yeah, I mean there are some longer walks and I I really liked it. I found myself just rehashing like maybe I'm rehashing what I heard in class, maybe I'm rehashing a conversation, maybe I'm just we need silence to process mm-hmm. normal things in addition to the supernatural realities that yeah. uh, like 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 the four last things. Yeah, Cal. Okay, sorry. This I think goes along with what you're saying. So, I don't really listen to music on my phone. And when I walk to class, when I'm on campus, when I'm doing homework, when I'm like on my own, I don't normally listen to music. But I do. And I process through conversations that I've had and like things that were said, what I wanted to say, what wasn't said, and then I. Like <laughs> dropping your phone, like you, you can tell he's really listening to you. Really I know, right? Listening. I feel so valued. But when does that become too much, though? What do you mean? So, when you get so fixated on a conversation that happened that like, you are oh oh okay yeah, so so, the, so like, in in psychology they talk about um uh, what is it it's uh where you uh, ruminate ruminate right. Yeah. Where you, that that's something that is dangerous, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, um, I, is it like being stuck in the past almost. Like, yeah, I, yeah. You know, Father Father Nick, uh, before uh, Father the Nagel was here, we we had a conversation once about uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, "Till We Have Faces." Where at the end of the novel, the um, the young woman is before a judge, and she is allowed to get, plead her case against the people who've wronged her in her life, and she is reading on this list of people who have wronged her, and it comes a moment where, at at some point, as she keeps reading through the list, the judge looks down at her and says, "Have you been heard, daughter?" And she suddenly realizes that it is nearly an eternity of her reading this list over and over and over again, where she's allowed this hurt to affect her soul, mm-hmm. where she is no longer moving on, that um, instead of it being a way to process through and move past the pain, it's actually become a way to trap her inside of it, and that uh, whatever pain the other person caused her uh, is dwarfed in comparison to the everlasting torment that she's inflicting upon herself of always being stuck and going back and over and ruminating on this um, we were talking about that with with a, with a number of different things but it's made me think more and more that um, when you do that you are not the active person in your thoughts there what St. Augustine would talk about in terms of, um, you know, an active reliving of the past, an attentiveness to the past, is an honest evaluation which sees it as the past and not as the present. 
right, in his true memory. So orders it and sees it in relation to other things. If you can't order the past and see it in relation to other things, then it becomes like a dominating yeah. force yeah. that uh, will control you. Yeah. As opposed to when you m- remember something, you put it in, a, in the larger scheme of things, especially prayerfully, right? Seeing it as part of salvation history and all that God has planned, then you have control. I, I don't want to say control necessarily, but... But it loses its power over you. Yeah. And I, when I said rehash conversations, I was actually thinking of something particular. So when I was in college, I had a friend who was an atheist. And we would often get into these, I mean, debates are really the only word for them. But they were, they were cordial enough. But um, he, uh, I would say this, that the, the adversity of having an atheist who is your friend, like it, it stretched me to the point that I had to really think about what we believe and why. And so really what I found myself doing was kind of rehashing some deep stuff there. Um, I didn't mean like I was ruminating over a perceived slight, you know, mm. which we all have. Yeah, sure. we all receive these. And yeah. sometimes we the person never intends it, mm-hmm. Yeah. right? Um, and again, that's... Therefore, yeah. <laughs> Et cetera. Well, well, anyway, before I want to... Um, I want to make sure we talk about, um, we're going to talk at the end of tonight about the particular judgment, and we're going to save for next Tuesday the general judgment. But before that, I thought, you know, we could just, the two of us could shut up for a second. Um, if you guys had questions about how to either, something we didn't a- answer about death itself, um, about what to do with your own loved ones when they're when they're dying obviously not every loved one that you have is gonna be catholic and what do you do in that situation facial expressions sorry yeah i know bobby's got all the kinds of facial expressions I'm so sorry i can't okay andiamo questions preguntas when they don't have that what do you do yeah all right when you don't have that sorry this is like way back you so you you call the priest you call the priest and you say my grandpa is dying yeah and the priest should drop whatever he is doing unless he's like a minute away from a holy day of obligation mass okay and come and and um if you have a priest who says ah well my schedule's kind of full i Maybe then say forget it and go to another priest. Okay. And, and listen, canon law and the tradition of the church are very clear. This is the severe obligation is attached to the priest to come when I'll, this. Call. I'll tell you the worst day I've had as a priest is um, we had a, we had kind of a flaw in our emergency system. Well, well, somebody was dying and they called one of the priests on his cell phone. He was in a meeting with the bishop. He couldn't get it. By the time he got it, called us, I left. Um, the guy died before I got there, and it devastated me. Uh, and then this was actually a horrible day because while I had gone to the hospital with this guy, we had gotten another emergency call at a different hospital that somebody was having a, an emergency surgery and needed to see a priest before the surgery. I zoom over to the next hospital, already in surgery. So this was the worst day I've had as a priest. I felt terrible because this is such a, and and, and I mean, that wasn't negligence on my part, but you still feel terrible because you're there. You're supposed to be available 24 seven. You're there to give people the sacraments. And 
and, and it, yeah. it's this this is really I hate to use the phrase now that Marvel has stolen it the end game yeah right that like all all of everything else that his work as a yeah. priest does yeah. is prepare for the, this moment the worst moment as a priest is when I walked in that hospital room and it was obvious this guy had been dead for 20 30 minutes yeah it was there are prayers that can be said you know uh, again some sometimes it's it's wibbly wobbly about when the soul departs the yeah, the body yeah this guy it, it was but, obvious this guy had been dead a long time <clears throat> well uh, it it was obvious he was dead and yeah. and but but this so was so there are condi- yeah. there are conditional prayers that the priest can say and people can say yeah uh when it's unsure whether or not the person is dead or not now this was thankfully you, this was anyways yeah but 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 yeah what you want to do be get a priest and then the priest is going to come and he is going to um, he's going to do the anointing of the sick. If the, if the person's cognizant, he should offer confession. Sometimes people are kind of taken aback by that and they, they don't, and they turn it down. I remember one time I went to somebody's deathbed and I offered him confession and he goes, no, I don't want that. And his brother is, his brother looked at him and it's like, just go to confession, <laughs> you know? And he said, fine. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Cause it's like, why would you turn this down on your deathbed? But if they're cognizant, you want them to go to confession, and then they're going to anoint with the with the holy oils, and then the apostolic pardon. And if the person is cognizant and they the priest is brought, tell them that, so the priest can bring communion. Mm-hmm. So how do you get a hold of the priest if you don't like have? Because like I have your cell phone. Right, right, but right. Like, well, most parishes. Just, like, so if you, call, if you call, if you call, if you're at a Diddy, hospital, hospital have. Yeah, they should have the okay. number. But but like if you were to call Diddy's normal number after hours it will go to a box and it should say uh and i actually need to change this because i have a google voice number that i'm going to put it as which goes to my cell phone right now it's my cell phone i don't really want that out there in that way so that just anybody could have it but the google voice goes straight to my cell phone so um every parish should have a system for getting a hold, I mean, oh, okay. yeah, I mean, I used to get calls in the middle of the night, yeah. and you know, you'd go to the hospital in the middle of the night, do an anointing. A lot of times, the person's unconscious, and then you're just going to do anointing and apostolic pardon. Yeah, and and then the, the way the sacrament works in that point is, if they had been able to go to confession and would have accepted it, then uh, they they receive the grace, the 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 sacrament forgives sins, mm-hmm. right? Okay. But if but, but, you know, I always offer it. Now, and, and also, too, I mean, sometimes there might be a situation where, like, doctors are working on the person, yeah. and it's not really possible to do confession. So um, I, I don't like that. I usually try and kick people out um, if I can, but, yeah. Right. But if I was a doctor, right, you remember the... The hospital I was born in was a Catholic hospital, Our Lady of Lords, and it uh, was one of those old ones where had a nice engraving in stone above the door and said, uh, the body is often uh, curable, the soul ever so. Right, that sort of was a, a really a saying of hope. that it, We may not be able to save you when you enter this hospital. You will eventually die. But I, the priest, up until the moment of death, can always cure you. Yeah. Um, are there any... Are there other questions? If they haven't been baptized, um, convince them to get baptized. And I can baptize them 
if they're on their, all bets are off when someone's dying, all right? You know, typically for an adult to, con to convert to Catholicism, we have them prepared. Yeah, the priest isn't going to say, I'm sorry, RCI doesn't start until May. Right. <laughs> well, and if he does, if he does, if he does, hang up and call another one. Because yeah. I've heard priests do that, and they should be slapped. Um, and because they're, I mean, you know, they should. Um, if someone's dying and they haven't been baptized, that is the most important thing. Okay. And, um, I, I, I went round and round with the guy about this. His fiance was dying and I was like, if she, he, he wanted me to do their wedding and I'm like, look, I can do the wedding, but if she's dying, why don't, I mean, can you tell me for sure she's been baptized? And he, he always said he was going to check and never I, did, never, never did. It really frustrated. And I mean, he didn't live in Kansas city, so I wasn't in. Mm -hmm. I was, it was kind of a long story. I was going through an intermediary, but baptism is if someone's um, dying and they aren't baptized, convince them to get baptism. Okay. No, I've also heard with that is like if somebody is like legit, like about to die, like and they're not baptized, that like we could do it. Like, in that, is that true? Is that not yeah. true? Like, if there's okay. no you possible as, way, you of as you... the Christian faithful, yes, because right? yes. it's I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And you pour water three yes. times. Now, but like, is that actually like legit? True well, here's what I would if say: there's no chance. Absolutely, it's it's legit if if we're talking a little kid. Okay. Um, it's 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 legitimate, but if it's okay. an adult, if it's an adult who is unconscious and they've never shown any inclination okay. of wanting to become Catholic or Christian. Yeah. Done. We're not supposed to do it in that situation. Okay. We need some inclination. And I mean, I am telling you, I will, if somebody tells me they just used to vaguely talk about it, if, if they sometimes pray the rosary, if they would some, I mean, I will use whatever pretense I can but I mean, if they were like, you will, you will occasionally run into these people who are obstinately anti-Christian, anti-Catholic. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, sacraments aren't magic, right? No. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, perhaps we've lost this a little just because we've tried so hard to discourage what was up until a hundred years ago, kind of an abuse where you would have, you know, grandmothers secretly baptizing kids, uh, you know, like, cause the, for whatever reason, their children do you see what I'm saying? And yeah. There, there were scandals. We don't need to bring them up where, you know, like you know, Catholic governesses would secretly baptize like Jewish babies and things like right. that. So this, this is, this is not Whoa. good. And this is, you know, extra canonical, no good. Yeah, so we've kind of, we've kind of um, suppressed this idea of the fact that the lady can do this. Okay. It's but, still, still possible, but, and pref okay. we prefer normal means. Yeah, by all means. Right. But, like, because I've been told if you are, like, if they're expressing it or whatever, and there's well, and, literally and, no chance of a priest. I mean, and it. if, it's, if it's, your, if it's your niece or nephew, uh -huh. and, you know, I, yeah, just do it, you yeah. know. Um, it, I mean, and if they're in, they're in, in danger, danger of death. death. Yeah. yeah, I should have yeah, been yeah. very clear about that. Well, yeah. Not like, oh. <laughs> you know, not like, not like yeah, getting, yes, not like getting on the the roller coaster and be like, this roller coaster is kind of scary. I think we're in danger of death. <laughs> Let me buy for you. No. You call up your mom real quick. I'm gonna baptize yeah. you. Cal. Cal. Yeah. So this isn't so much dying, but just something that like, so my great grandmother has been get, going through some troubles, and every conversation I've had with her the past few years has ended with her asking me to pray for her soul. 
in preparation for when she does die. Is there anything other than that that we can do to better prepare for our Is she Is she able to... Is, does she have access to the sacraments? Like, is she able to go to Mass yes. and go to... Yeah. Then, yes. Uh, like I said in the very beginning of all this, uh, a devotion to St. Joseph. Yeah. Um, St. Joseph has, for the centuries, been always our patron of a good death because he traditionally is seen to have died in the arms of the Blessed Mother right. and Jesus Christ. Right. So there's no better death than that. Um, mm-hmm. And so if if you desire for her the good that the church holds forth of, you know, a, a death prepared with the sacraments, with all the other things, um, making a, a, an act of the will before death to turn your thoughts and soul over to God. Um, St. Joseph is your, is your homeboy. Yeah. And, and I mean, I would maybe in a very gentle way, just ask her about confession. And the reason I say that is, um, and we don't need to get into all this now, but there was um, a time not that long ago when, when most Catholics went to confession once a week. And then there were some changes, and priests either did, some priests stopped preaching about confession, some actively discouraged it. Yeah. But there was a time where, where the laity were told, unless you've killed someone, you don't need to go to confession in some places. And the reason I say that is I actually had this conversation with my family one Easter very awkwardly. Um, and, and because the priest had talked about confession at Easter Mass. And the reason I say that is your grandma, um, if she's able to make a confession, I mean, that's the best means yeah. to prepare your soul. Mm-hmm. Go to confession. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing, too, with the idea of praying for our own good death. Our death can be a powerful point of conversion in other people's souls oh, to yeah. see a good death. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that, and it reminded me of just in my own family of when there has been good deaths, then that's moments where people are like, This is true. I need to go to confession myself yeah. um, and to, to come back into the church. And you can do what you do, what's what St. Paul says, right? To make up in our sufferings uh, those of Christ on the cross, that you can unite that. It's all. It all comes back to this. It's not some random object that we bring in as we prepare to die. This is meant to be a sign of what we're being united to. So in that moment of death, we are supposed to be up there with him on that cross. Um, I want to make sure that we do talk just a little bit about a particular judgment to kind of dispel some of the things that happen here. So what happens when we die? Right, The soul separates from the body. Yes. And... To understand this for other animals right, we're the only animal that is a soul spirit right so our soul is spirit not just soul so when the the tree dies or um i hate to bring up so let's bring up an animal that's not a pet uh dog <laughs> a horse just go with a horse uh horse a cow, a, cow, yes. a, cow. a pig. pig something like that chicken its soul is released too, right? The soul is yeah. the form of the body. So without the body, the soul has no purpose, right? That is for a creature that is either just has only a vegetative soul, such as plants and animals and fungi, uh, or uh, you know a vegetative and a motive soul, such as um, animals and birds and reptiles and all that stuff would have. Um, so once the body is gone, the soul 
dissolves. And yet there is that divine spark, the spirit in us, which, again, it's not like we have a, a we talk about parts of the soul, the vegetative part, the the motive part, right, which, which is, lo, you know, the movement and the desires that we have, and uh, the senses, right? These are all parts of, you know, our animal soul and our rational soul. But it's not as if those are actual divisions. It's all one soul. And since it is all one soul, that rational part, that divine part, the spirit part is immortal. And yet, unlike angels who uh, sense and know independent of bodily senses, that soul is kind of blinded when it's separated from the body. Um, there's lots of ways in which um, church fathers and other people have written about what this must be like. Um, we don't really have time to go into that, but there <laughs> is, <laughs> we're, we're coming up on time here. But well, yeah, I, I was thinking of, yeah. There, there, there are, um, there are various heresies in the early church where, um, before the idea of a particular judgment and a final judgment, uh, there were what called the um, the hypnopsychists, which is a really awesome name, by the way. It sounds like a, it's a great band name if no one has it. The hypnopsychists. Reach um, me in. Here we come. No, you know what? You know what? I always thought would be a good band name would be uh, Agent Intellect and the Phantasms from <laughs> Thomistic <laughs> Anthropology. Okay, that's pretty good too. Yeah. Um, Reaching names here we come. Okay, so anyway, the hypno the hypno uh, psychists believed that the soul, in addition to the body, uh, would die and would need to be resurrected as well. Um, this was condemned as a heresy. Uh, we see in the gospel itself and uh, of Dives and, and Lazarus, uh, Saint Augustine makes the point: the rich man and Lazarus. Dives is Latin for rich. Rich man, man I know. Well, they don't know. So St. Augustine says, For with respect to that which he uh, most correctly and very soundly holds, namely that souls are judged when they depart from the body, before they come to that judgment which must be passed on them when reunited to the body and are tormented or glorified in that same flesh which they inhabited here, was that a matter of which you, Peter, were unaware? Who is so obstinate against the gospel as not to perceive those things in the parable of that poor man carried after death to Abraham's bosom, and of the rich man whose torments are set before us. And so we see in the gospel, um, Jesus talking about souls without bodies in some sort of existence awaiting the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And so they're there. They're, there's, there's evidence in Ecclesiastes and Hebrews and Second Corinthians. You can kind of marshal before and say, look, the soul continues on. Um, when I talk to students about St. Augustine and the church tradition, one of the things I say is that at least for those who have been saved, that we are taken into Christ's body so that... Um, we enjoy the beatific vision. We achieve, we, we enjoy the beatific vision and really... By a, by a miracle of God. By a miracle of God. And that, that, that soul is conformed to him. Right. Right. And so uh, before the resurrected body is given back to us, uh, at least in my own sort of understanding of the tradition, my assumption would be that, uh, you know, you think, you feel, you touch all the other senses that you would possess would be in the body of Jesus Christ. 
But there is still something um, incomplete. Yes. So, you know, I mean, the, the person is a body-soul composite, and the body is not with them. Yeah. So that's why, that's why we say it's by a miracle of God that we're able to see, because how do we see now through the body? You know, how do we sense now through the body? How do we know now? We know through the senses, right? Even abstract things, we know, you know, we know through, through, through the senses, right? We, we learn about them through hearing and, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's by a miracle of God that we're able to enjoy the bliss of heaven prior to the last judgment and the general resurrection. Yeah. So that particular judgment then is, the very name itself implies, is particular. To your life. To your life. And it's instantaneous. I mean, it's there that the soul knows whether it is going to heaven, hell, purgatory. And if you're in purgatory, you eventually get to heaven. And so there's purgatory is a place of hope, right? Um, that you know it, it that final completion is 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 there. Pray for yeah. yeah. I think uh, one of the things that we talked about with angels, demons, and ghosts is the the need to. to be attentive to our guardian angel. Um, the church has a, a great tradition in its fathers of speaking of purgatory, of the guardian angel being there in purgatory um, with us, work, helping us work this out. Again, the, the, the whole large church all together uh, in this month of November, right? Where I think you talked about it in Mass today, right? Yep. Pray for, uh, pray pray for, for the, the dead. dead. Uh, and, and you know, we say that, and I can't remember if I was talking to this group or not, the default in the church has always been that when the faithful die, from the standpoint of the living, we treat them as if they're in purgatory, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's really important, because if you, un, un, unfortunately, if you go to a Catholic homily, a Catholic funeral today, odds are the homily will canonize the person. And that's a disservice to the, the departed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when I die, do not canonize me. Pray for me. Have masses said for me. Visit my grave and, and pray for me. You know, that's, that's what we want. Yeah, and it's not sort of a mock humility. No, no. It's, 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 I it's really, the reality, reality that I, we're I, sinners. And, and you know what? You guys are around me a lot, and you know that I'm a sinner, right? Because I... And moments where we're serious, and then yeah. other moments where we're goofing off and we're saying idle things. Yeah, and we're gossiping. Yeah, uh, whatever it is, mocking, mocking people. Yeah, some people do that. I don't. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sure. 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, did you have any other final thoughts you want to throw in here? I would say these are guys. These are things that. For November, in the first two weeks of Advent, these four things are, they should be a substance of your prayer. Death, judgment, heaven, hell. And we don't say it for you to be obsessed or terrified or paralyzed with fear. Um, these are, are what our life is barreling towards. And we don't know when, but we know it'll happen, right? Yeah, and and we want to be prepared. And we're prepared by, this is why we need, this is why I always say regular confession, not 
once a year. I mean, once a year is the minimum. Not when you need it. Not when you need it regular. It's not, it's not like, uh, sort of like... You didn't do it all. It's not like, uh, <laughs> when, do you, when do you get a shower? Well, when I feel like I smell excessively to the right. point where other people will avoid me. That's when I get my shower. No. No, no you just... just and and this, that's the thing, about, the thing about regular confession. When we go to confession, not only are our sins forgiven, we are strengthened. We receive a particular grace to strengthen us against that temptation, right? And so we shouldn't wait until we've fallen into mortal sin to go to confession. Now, if you do fall into mortal sin, by all means, come to confession. But, but uh, we shouldn't wait till we're at that point. It's not, it, that's, that's the equivalent of waiting until you code blue to go to the doctor oh, to call 911. It's a very man thing to do. Yeah, yep. it is. <laughs> Men are bad about doctors. Yep. Um, I mean, women aren't great about it either. Well, let's, uh, I want to, on top of that point, I want to say that, you know, growing in virtue, meditating on these things is a uh, way of growing in the foundational virtue of prudence. Yeah. Uh, that foundation of vir- virtue of prudence is which, one that sees reality for what it is, making your mind at one with reality. Which, which we're going to talk about the virtues. Yeah. And you are a mortal creature. <laughs> to forget that is to leave prudence aside. You know, something else I'll say, um, most cultures throughout human history have had a reverence for their elders. Our culture idolizes youth. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, one of the, def, one of the uh, problems with that is that um, because we idolize youth, we think it's something we can capture by exercise, by a pill, by whatever you know we think we can we can find this fountain of youth so we can be young forever um but also because we don't reverence the elderly we don't have as familiar an experience of death mm-hmm. i mean how many of us have seen somebody die yeah you know i mean throughout human history most people which, would have grown up around this which we don't want to scare you i mean it's a beautiful whole in a, in a good death can be beautiful and holy and a faith affirming experience and and even if it's not i think even still like like sometimes people are restless when they die but still we have hope because we can entrust them to the mercy of god Mm -hmm. and we can and we pray for them and i've been at deathbeds where people have been restless and died restless and i still pray for them at every mass yeah you know and um i want to end this with a, a poem by john dunn uh, it's one of his holy sonnets. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sli- sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery thou art slave to fate chance kings and desperate men and dust with poison war and sickness dwell and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well and better than thy stroke why swell'st thou then one short sleep past we wake eternally and death shall be no more death thou shalt die yeah, I, I know that we were talking about this as a preparation for Advent. Um, 
But one of the things I love about Lent itself is the meditation as we prepare for Good Friday, that uh, the enemy is more than Satan, that the enemy that, that Christ confronts on the cross is death. And yeah, the last enemy to be destroyed. The last enemy to be destroyed. Uh, whatever power Satan thinks he has, the one that, that Jesus Christ came down to defeat right, on that cross was death. Right? To, to make us whole and making us whole in a, a radically new way that... Uh, Yeah, it, well, that's when we talk about heaven, which will be not this coming week, but the week after. Yeah.